Governor Mark Robinson now joins us. Welcome uh, back to the program, sir. How are you? Hey, how you doing? Good to be here. Uh, I appreciate you making some time for us, uh, as always. Sure. Uh, so uh, the first question I got to ask you, um, why do you think your uh, your video in front of the Greensboro City Council, you've got your new book out called We Are the Majority, you talk about this uh, this appearance at the Greensboro City Council that I think everybody recognizes kind of launched your uh, your career into politics, right? Mm-hmm. So why do you think that went viral? Well, uh, you know, I think it was just the words that were spoken. It resonated with a ton of folks. Uh, I, the one thing I heard more than anything is that people would tell me, they would say, you said exactly what's on my mind. I just did not know how to express it. And I think that's the major reason why it went uh, why it went viral, because it was something that was, uh, I think a lot of people were feeling it, but just didn't know how to express it. And I think in that moment, God allowed me to capture that those words just right to, to get folks' attention and, and, more importantly, to inspire people. Well, and, that, and now it's the name of your book, We Are the Majority. This was what you hammered home to the Greensboro City Council when they were uh, debating uh, what, whether or not to cancel the gun show or something from coming to Greensboro. And in your book, you talk about how you didn't even remember what you said. Your wife, you get home and your wife is asking you, well, how did it go? What did you say? And you really didn't remember anything that you said? I didn't. I, uh, I I didn't. I didn't have anything written. I didn't have anything prepared when I spoke, and I had no idea what I was going to say. But uh, yeah, when I got home, my wife she asked me. She asked me if I went to the meeting. I said I did. She said, "Did you speak?" I said, "I did." She said, "What did you say?" And I said, "I I don't remember. I could not remember." It wasn't until I was able to see the video, I believe, the next day, that it came kind of came back to me the things that I had said. What, so what did, when you, you watched it all the way through, I'm assuming, at that point, you sat and you saw yourself, what did you think about what you were saying? Like, did, did you remember everything that you said, or did you say, oh, I wish I hadn't have said that? Or? It kind of, it came back to me, and when I heard it, I thought, well, that's pretty good, you know. And when <laughs> I heard it, I thought, well, people will hear this, and they'll say, oh, that's pretty good, and I thought, we just go away, but just never did. It yeah. just kept going. It kept going like the Energizer Bunny. <laughs> <laughs> and so then uh, so then you start getting some phone calls, and in your book you talk about Mark Walker, Congressman Walker. Uh, he gives yeah. you a call. Uh, and then the next thing, you're getting calls from uh, Fox and Friends. Uh, yeah. And then I guess they, uh, they, they take you to a studio so you can join them for the morning show and chat with them about it, and they put yep. you in makeup. Was that, so what was that experience like? Was that your first time doing a TV hit? It was. That was my first time, and it was, uh, like I said, it was surreal. Those first days were very surreal. I just, uh, you know, I couldn't believe it was gaining so much notoriety. And, again, the entire time I was thinking, well, you know, this will die down after a while. This will this will reach its peak, and then it'll, it won't be, you know, it won't be a story anymore. It'll go away. But, again, it never did, and it never has. It continues to uh, continues to be shared all across social media, and it's just, uh, just never has. Never yeah. stopped. It's pretty amazing. Uh, I think it's like 150 million views uh, of that speech, which is just, yeah, uh, it's unbelievable. Um, especially for somebody like just riffed off the cuff, um, no prepared remarks. And maybe that's why it went viral. I don't know. Um, so people know you from the speech. They obviously know you now as lieutenant governor. But before you went down to Greensboro City Council, uh, you know, obviously you had your whole life 
before that point. And I think some folks might be aware you worked in a furniture manufacturing uh, facility. And, and this was an interesting part of your story, I thought, in reading through uh, this autobiography, that you thought you had arrived at that point. You were working in that plant, right? And, and you were making yep. good money, get a good house. Like you thought, this is it, right? The American dream, you've attained it. And then it all kind yep. of evaporated. How did that happen? Well, you know, when I first went to work in the furniture industry, uh, NAFTA hadn't really taken hold on the country yet, the, the effects of it. But uh, once I stayed in it for a while, uh, it certainly did. And a lot of those great jobs that, you know, built families and homes, uh, it went away. Uh, I worked at a place called Clouster here in North Carolina. It, it was able to survive, but many of the others weren't. Um, but I did. I, that was a very good job, and I thought that was a career I could work at for many decades uh, and uh, maybe even retire from, but it, that wasn't to be. And when it happened, like many other Americans, I had to you know, find a different way to make a living, and, and thank God we were able to do that. So you went back to work uh, in the restaurant industry, and as one who worked in the restaurant industry for about a decade myself and at a pizzeria in New York, where I was born— I got to ask you, you worked at Sabaro's, right? You worked at Pizza, uh, uh, Papa John's. I, so, I worked at Sabaro prior to Klausner. Okay. Uh, I left Sabaro to go work in the furniture industry, and then I left the, uh, Klausner to go work back in the pizza, pizza industry again with a uh, big delivery chain. So uh, I, had a, I had a great experience with that. Uh, but, again, that wasn't where God wanted me to be. It was part of the part of the training i guess he had for me but it wasn't something he wanted me to you know retire in or be a, a, a lifetime service to and so well, we ended up moving on from there as well yeah what well what what what's the better pizza oh uh, i can't say I'm <laughs> not, I'm not, I, just, I like pizza if it's good i'll eat it <laughs> well all right mine homemade pizza is the best okay well that's fair enough that's fair enough uh so how about a Preferred topping, at least? Could you do? Can you tell me, tell me that preferred toppings Pepper, on your pizza? Pepperoni and mushroom. Pepperoni mushroom. Sorry, fair enough. So I do find it interesting. People who become very successful usually, I don't want to say enjoy, but almost enjoy talking about the trials in their lives, the 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 work that they put in to get where they are. And in in reading through some of the book here, it seems like you go to great efforts to do that very same thing, to tell the story of the hard times, because that's where you learned all of these lessons, it seems. Mm-hmm. And so you talk about growing up very poor. You talk mm-hmm. about a decision that your mom made. I guess it was after your dad died and he was abusive towards your family. So you had that in your background as well. And mm-hmm. uh, and so I want to ask you some about uh, about some of those life lessons that you then picked up and maybe you didn't even realize you were learning them, but you realize later in life that th- this is why you are the way you are is because of these uh, formative wow. years. Uh, so uh, if I could get you to hang on a second, this is Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson, and uh, his new book is We Are the Majority. You can uh, find it at Amazon. Uh, we Are the Majority, the Life and Passions of a Patriot. More with Lieutenant Governor. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here. And uh, my guest is the Lieutenant Governor of North Carolina, Mark Robinson. He is now also the author of a book, We Are the Majority, The Life and Passions of a Patriot. And um, Lieutenant Governor Robinson, the um, uh, 
uh, you mentioned we talked about the pivotal moment in your adult life, that speech to the Greensboro City Council. But you talk about this pivotal moment in your childhood uh, where your mom was widowed and uh, a friend of hers. I think you talk about a friend of hers comes to her and says, hey, you know, uh, now you can kind of sit back and uh, get all kinds of checks because your husband is dead. And you're, you got kids, and your mom said no. And this was a pivotal moment in your life. Did, did you recognize it? Did your family recognize that at that point? I certainly did, and I'm sure my brothers and sisters did as well. I mean, we, you know, we, we went without a, a lot of things uh, as, as young kids. And when my mom died, or when my dad died, and my mom went to work, we saw our life finally start to uh, take on some semblance of normalcy. Uh, you know, my mom was able to do a lot of things for us that we had never had before. We never had uh, a color television. We never had a car. Uh, we'd never been able to, to even go out and eat at restaurants. Uh, and my mom really brought a sense of stability and normalcy to our lives because of the decision she made to go out and earn a living for herself and not depend on uh, uh, depend solely on government assistance. And uh, that set a standard in, in my life for sure by, you know, letting me know that, you know, this is not up to anybody else. This is not up to Uncle Sam. This is not up to, to my neighbors or my friends or not even to my, my mom. This is up to me uh, to take care of my family. And so it did. It set a strong standard for me in my life that working is the way to go always. Working, uh, putting yourself out there and being able to provide for yourself and for your family. And so it absolutely was one of the greatest examples I've ever seen in my life. Well, I think you called your mom your hero uh, because of that. Yeah. Absolutely, she was. Um, it's one of the things the Brookings Institute cites. It's hard. Uh, Brookings is a you know liberal think tank, and one of the things they cite as one of the three things to do to stay out of poverty or get out of poverty. The number one is have a job, any job. Right. Have a That's job. Right. Um, That's right. Graduate high school and then. Wait until you get married to have kids and do that after you graduate high school. And you do those three things and you're probably going to stay out of poverty. And it seems like that message doesn't get conveyed uh, in American society today. Absolutely. You know, I could count people. I could. I know people. They weren't the brightest in school. They didn't make the best grades. Uh, They weren't super talented in any field. But I can name person after person that I know that worked. You know, they started off working in a fast food place, and then they moved up to another position, and they moved up. And those, those folks are doing very, very, very well in life because they had a strong work ethic. They were willing to put in the work in order to do what they had to do in order to, to take care of themselves and then later on their families. And like I said, it's not about having some super talent. It's not about going to Harvard or Yale. It's about having a strong work ethic. And people who have a strong work ethic, they always succeed. Yeah. You talk about uh, your mom, uh, who had a friend uh, who worked at NCANT University. That's how uh, she got lined up with a job there after your dad yeah. died. Um, you also talked about how you ended up getting into that furniture manufacturers because you had uh, family members and friends who helped you in your search for a job too. And I thought yeah. this was a really important point that this is the social capital that people talk about. That's real social capital, right? That's that's who Absolutely. you know. And that's how that's how you get quote ahead in life is you get plugged into opportunities because you have you have relationships with people. Absolutely, that's a, that's a great point. It goes right back to what I just said. I know an individual. He was a high school dropout. He made some bad mistakes, 
But when he finally decided to get his life straight, he went to work at McDonald's. And uh, while working at McDonald's, he came in contact with someone who worked for the McDonald's Corporation who saw how hard a worker he was, gave him inside the McDonald's Corporation, and now this guy makes hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, all because he displayed strong work ethic and was in the workforce and made the right connections. That's why working is so important to stay out there, to stay in the workforce, and to put yourself out there. Many people uh, have seen that success, or most people see that success, because they're willing to get out there and work. Well, yeah, and and having goals, you obviously had stated goals. Your mom had a goal. Your friend had, like, I want a job. And you tell other people that goal, and people help you get it. That's always been the case for me. If you have a goal and you tell other people, usually they can help you achieve that goal. A lot of people just don't ever tell others their goals if they even have them at all. Absolutely. Um, You have those goals. You do that networking, and um, you get out there, and you do it, and it, it works. It really does. Yeah, uh, And again, all comes down to work ethic. So why do you think that's lost now? Because I think we preach this gospel that things are supposed to be handed to folks, to, to, to people. You know, we have this whole everybody gets a trophy mentality where even if you uh, those who succeed are seen as privileged or those that succeed are seen as having some type of advantage, we also don't reward excellence anymore. More and more we see excellence being pushed aside in favor of, of equity and, and so-called uh, ersat equality. Uh, we can't do that. We have to reward excellence. We have to reward hard work. We, and we have, and that's, that's how we encourage those things. The more we push excellence to the side, the more we uh, demonize those who have worked hard, we'll see people not do that. And, of course, the welfare state and government hasn't helped at all. How so? Excuse me? How so? How is, the, how is it not helped? Oh, we saw the dreadful effects of that during COVID, where we paid people not to go to work. That, is, that has been the ultimate example uh, of, of the last few decades of how government intervention and the welfare state can absolutely destroy an economy. We actually paid people not to go to work. And now we're having a difficult time getting them to go back to work. Uh, it was one of the biggest mistakes that was ever made and one of the greatest examples the great, greatest example of how the welfare state slash nanny state can destroy a nation. And so it's something that we desperately need to stay away from in this country from now on. Um, I did have another question about uh, the NAFTA fallout. Um, because I recall I was a young reporter at the time. Robin Hayes cast the deciding vote on that, Congressman Hayes. Uh, have you ever run across Robin Hayes in your now that you're in Republican politics? Have you ever crossed paths with him? Have you ever talked about NAFTA with him about that? I have not ever. Okay. I've never discussed that with him, but I do know Robin Hayes. Very well. <laughs> okay, all right. I was just curious, like what what that conversation must have sounded like, because I know years later he regretted the the vote and all. But uh, I was just kind of curious if you if that topic had ever come up between you two, because you would have that in common. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure he did, and I'm sure plenty of people regretted the decision. Yeah, uh, to go along with that. I'm sure they did. So uh, there was speculation I saw in the uh, the Raleigh media that you love so much um, about uh, you're 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 probably going to run for governor. So you want to make your announcement that that you're probably going to make an announcement at some point about that? Well, you know, we're certainly looking at it, uh, something we're certainly considering. Uh, you know, the, the seat is going to be open. Our, our current governor is term limited. He's mm-hmm. on his second term. He's on his way out. It's going to be an open seat. I'm in the number two seat, so it's a logical choice for me to move move in that direction. But if we decide to do that, we'll we'll let everybody know when that time comes. 
All right. Well, best of luck to you. Best of luck on the book. Congratulations, uh, you add author to your resume. Uh, thanks a lot for your time today. We appreciate it. Thank you, Pete. Uh, everybody go out and get your copy. It's, it's available today. The book is called We Are the Majority. It is available uh, from Republic Book Publishers out of New York, The Life and Passions of a Patriot. Thanks so much for your time, sir. Appreciate it. Thank you, sir. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Oh, my goodness. I've gotten the folks stirred up on the Twitter machine. I attacked the precious. <laughs> they must defend the precious. Sherry Beasley. Is Sherry Beasley just calling it reproductive freedom, reproductive health and all that. Uh, yeah. Join me on the Twitter machine. It's... Uh, it's an experience at Pete Callender, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Thank you again to Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson. I always enjoy talking with him. Um, just a very interesting guy. I always like talking about the life experiences. I mean, I have, you know, interviewed him a couple times over uh, the last few years about, you know, political issues as they come up and that sort of thing. But um, he's just a really interesting story to me. And uh, his background. And that's the, and I've, I've made note of this. I mentioned it to him as well. Like you come across highly successful people when I have at least, and I've talked with them and I've, you know, read what they re, uh, uh, what they write about their struggles to become successful. And that's the stuff that they're always most passionate about. They always want to tell you like all the stuff they overcame and all the, the troubles they had and how they got around it and, how they figured out the better mouse trap. They always want to talk about the or like uh, the, the one I always come back to is um, the guy uh, Arthur Blank from Home Depot, right? Uh, talking about him. I'm trying to Bernie something I think was his partner, but the two guys that started Home Depot and how they would they they worked you know 20 hour days hanging shelves in the in the in the store, and they just killed themselves right to to build this business. That's the stuff they look back on as like. Oh, remember those good old days. And look, maybe, you know, as the philosopher Billy Joel says, the good old days weren't always good. But, you know, to some degree they are. These are the things, these are the, the trial by fire, uh, the trials by fire that you go through, that you succeed through, and then you want to impart to others. That, to me, has always been the empowering parts of the stories. That's, to me, the empowering part of Mark Robinson's story, is that you too can do this. Right, he's telling you these things, and he's talking about his past because you can do it too. He talked about the friend of his that worked at the uh, uh, the the uh, at the McDonald's, who became very successful as well. Right, it is encouragement to others. That's why I do it with PhD weight loss as well. Like I'm not an anomaly. I'm not special. I can do this. You can do this. Right. If I can, if I can look, I, I've done. Manual labor jobs. I worked in restaurants. He worked in, uh, Mark Robinson worked in restaurants. I was kind of, tr truth be told, I was kind of hoping he wouldn't, he wouldn't dodge on the, on the pizza question. <laughs> when I asked him Sabaros or Papa John's, because he worked for both of them and he didn't want to pick favorites. I get it. Sort of like the barbecue question in North Carolina. You can't answer that question if you're running for office. I get that. But to me, that's the power of those stories of overcoming obstacles. It's not that, look at me, I did it. It's, 
look at me, I'm a regular person. If I did it, you can too. It's encouragement for others because you can do it. Have goals, tell other people what those goals are, and you'd be amazed how they can help you. That's the thing that's, uh, that, that stuck out to me in the stories that he told. He gave multiple examples of that very thing happening where mom says, hey, I need a job. Hey, I know a friend, and she has a job. Hey, my goal is to get a job. Can you help me get a job someplace? And friend is like, hey, yes, I can. In Mark Robinson's own life, he says, hey, I, uh, I, I want a better job than working at Sbarro's. Uh, and he has a friend and, or a family member, and they're like, hey, we work in the furniture factory. Uh, hey, can you help me get a job? I have a goal. I want a job. Uh, can you get me one in the furniture factory? Hey, we can line you up with that. That's how, that's social capital. That's how you build that stuff. And the family and your relationship with your neighbors, your church members, your civic organizations, that's how you do that. And for some reason, we've lost that as a society, I think. We've lost this understanding. Or it became dirty, like, oh, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Well, to some extent, yes, it is who you know. It's showing up. Right place, right time. But here's the thing. If you never show up, you're never going to be at the right place at the right time. And what Ashton Kutcher, remember when he gave that speech to the the, the teeny bopper awards or whatever they were? Uh, and he said opportunity looks a whole lot like hard work. Right? You work hard, you make your own opportunities. They, they present themselves. People want to be around others. Limbaugh used to talk about this all the time. Around positive people. People making positive change. People that are happy warriors. Others want to be around you. They want some of that. They want some of that in their life. They want to study you and they want advice from you. All right, sometimes they just want your money, <laughs> which I've, I've never had that problem because if you don't have any, <laughs> you can't give it away. So like that's always been very beneficial for me. But that's this is part of the it, what makes people attracted to, uh, to be in the orbit of others. And I think that's what attracts uh, a lot of people to Mark Robinson. He's, you know, he's honest in that way, and he's kind of forthright. Anyway, uh, I do appreciate his time today. I'm kind of rambling here, but I, uh, but hey, you know what? It's what I do. I ramble. I go down rabbit holes sometimes. I never know where they'll <laughs> News Talk 1110-993-WBT. By the way, um... I do try to follow everybody back on the Twitter machine. So if you're Twitter curious <laughs> and, you, and, you, and you, you hit me up over there, you follow me, I try to, I mean, I make sure you're not a bot and I check and see, you know, what are you actually tweeting out? If you're just like, just spamming, uh, like retweeting, stuff like that. But if you are, uh, if you're on Twitter, you want to have some fun, uh, hang out. We got a good tribe going. Um, I got a couple of, uh, these are P tweets or direct messages. Uh, this comes from Jason who says, wait until folks find out America and the dollar is not far off from being dethroned as the world reserve currency. The Keynesians are not far off from a very rude awakening. Yeah. Um, on the Charlotte Mecklenburg police department, uh, media question policy or media, uh, interaction policy changes, that we covered in the first part of the show. I uh, got a message that says, I wonder if CMPD has thought about when and if they will need the media to put out some info asking for the public's help. 
with an incident. Since they say we are not legally required to answer your questions, what if the media said, well, we're not legally required to help you put out requests for assistance? Right. See, that's a very good point. And when I was chatting with um, Mark Garrison about this, I, did, I mentioned the old public information officer for the city of Charlotte, Bill Garant. And the thing that he told me, uh, it, uh, others, in a presentation, he went to like the York County Red Cross or something, and, uh, and I covered it when I was a reporter uh, down in Rock Hill. And um, he talked about how the national media, that like the first thing he had to, de- had to do was tell them, okay, this is Charlotte. This is a city in North Carolina. Because a lot of them thought they were in Charleston or in West Virginia. They didn't even know where Charlotte was. So the first thing he did was tell them, you're in Charlotte, North Carolina. Here's where we're located, right? And then uh, he said that the local or the national media folks picked up on the relationship that the locals had with the public information officers. And if the national people... And I've had this experience. The national folks come to town. The Ray Carruth trial was one of them uh, where they 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 look to the local reporters and they take their cues as in, you know, can you work with these people? Can these guys be trusted? Are they are they stonewalling you on things? Are they part of the problem? Because if the national folks realize that uh, that the the local officials are part of the problem, they will go around them. They'll go around them. And uh and if you're the official and you're trying to put out a message, that's not helping you. So that was his advice. Again, take it or leave it. Doesn't matter to me, you know. Um, but no, I kicked a bit of a <clears throat> Twitter nest here um, when I uh, <laughs> when I noted that Sherry Beasley has put out a statement uh, after Lindsey Graham's proposal to ban abortion after 15 weeks. This is a national. Bill. It's not going anywhere. It's not going to win approval in the Democrat controlled Senate. It definitely, even if for some miraculous reason it passes the Senate, it will not get through the House where the Democrat majority is even larger. And even if through some miraculous reason it gets through the House, Joe Biden's not going to sign it. Okay, so this is not going to become law. But what it does is it forces the discussion that now people are very, very big mad me for having on Twitter because I recognized what Lindsey Graham is doing. He's forcing us to have the discussion. Let's have it because here's what Sherry Beasley said. Senate Republicans just introduced a nationwide ban on abortion. No, they did not. First off, so that's a lie. Hello, PolitiFact, fact checkers. Where are you guys on that one? It's not a nationwide ban on abortion. It's a ban on abortions after 15 weeks, which, by the way, is the norm in most other Western societies. She says, make no mistake, if Republicans take back the Senate, they will pass a nationwide ban on abortion. And my opponent, Ted Budd, will proudly vote for it. That's what's at stake this November. See, so they're using abortion and this threat of complete total bans on abortion. They're using that as the motivation for Democrats to get out and vote. Media know this. That's why they keep promoting these stories. That's why they keep doing the stories and they keep framing them as an all or nothing, zero sum. It's a false dichotomy, total ban or zero restrictions. Now, I will say, and so my response to her was, first off, the same people who promised to codify a national law on abortion are mad that their opponent suggests the same. 
right? So what that proves is that it's not about the national government doing something. That's not the argument. It's about the restriction, period. It's about the standard. So let's have a discussion about the standard. What's the appropriate limit? Birth? 20 weeks? What? What's the limit? Now, I will give props to a person named J.P. Sherman, Principal Product Manager at Red Hat. Husband, dad four, of four boys and two border collies. Oh, he's a humanist. So, uh-huh. Anyway, he's in Raleigh, and he says, uh... Well, he, he says, what you're calling codify national law is literally their job. Uh, and I said, so when did the rights obtain for the child? And he says, fair question. And then he talks about uh, unlife and blah, blah, blah. But eventually he gets around and he says that uh, birth. Rights applied at the moment of birth. And then he says, I'd actually even go farther. I'd even argue the point of individual viability as an option. So, so you could kill the baby... Before it's weaned, that's okay. See, this is why I welcome this discussion. We'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.